If you have your Bibles, please open with me this morning to Luke chapter 15. We are in our last week in our series uh, called CORE that we've been in for the past five weeks looking at our core values as a church. And I just wanted to kind of look at these this morning in review. Uh, maybe you've missed one, maybe you haven't been able to be here for much of this series and uh, just kind of unpack these as, because we've uh, looked at these as kind of the vision and the DNA of who we want to be as a church, who we are and who we want to be. We looked the first week at this value of Jesus is the center. And that everything in our lives should be centered around Jesus. That it's more than just a Sunday thing, more than just coming to church and singing a few songs and listening to a sermon. Uh, really, we have been created in Christ to orient our lives around Him. The second week, we looked at this value of each part plays a part. This idea that the church is spoken of as a body in Scripture, with Christ as our head. And so each of us have a part to play, some more glamorous than others, but each of them necessary. The third week, we looked at this value of connection grows in circles, not rows, and talked about how though what we do on Sunday mornings is vital to what we, who we are as a church. If the extent of our connection uh, with, with Christ and with the body of believers ends on a Sunday morning, then we're really missing out on the life that he has to offer. And so we focused on small groups and, and Sunday schools and looked at how those smaller uh, connections can be valuable to us as we seek to live life together. Last week, we looked at this value of build better families, and we had an opportunity to hear from Aaron and, and Josie, our youth minister and children's minister, and how they use uh, their ministries to impact your children. And so parents and, grand, uh, and grandparents, we talked about how, uh, yes, as a church, we want to help disciple your kids, but it's exactly that. It's a help. As the primary means of discipleship that Jesus has given to the world is the family. And so what we do as a church is really supplemental uh, to what you do as parents each and every day. We talked about how the church has about 40 hours a year to pour into your kids versus your 3,000 hours that you spend with them uh, throughout the year, speaking into their lives the truth and love of Jesus. And so as we come to this last value uh, this morning, we've spoken of all of these values as, as who we are or who we want to be. And I think this value, if, uh, if you're like me, falls more into that second category of who we want to be. Because this value, if I'm not careful, if I'm not cognizant of it, if I'm not consciously pursuing it, is a value that I'm often content to ignore. The value we want to impact last and, and this morning is this value of one is greater than 99. One is greater than 99. Now any kindergartner could tell you that this is just plain bad math. I mean, how could one be greater than 99? I mean, you have so many on, on one hand and just one on the other. And so we see that it's not, a necessary, uh, not necessarily true in a mathematical sense, but in the kingdom of God, it couldn't be truer. But not only is such a statement uh, mathematically incorrect, but when we truly understand this value, it might be even to us downright offensive. I have to warn you this morning, I don't have very big feet, but I will probably step on some toes beginning with my own. And so this morning, Jesus unpacks this idea or this value for us in a very popular parable that many of you probably already know as the parable of the lost sheep. But before we look at that parable, I think it's very important to understand the context in which Jesus spoke it. We see in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners 
and eats with them. Now, I know given the, the 2,000 years of distance between us and, and the Gospels that the scandal of this association is probably lost on us, but it would be something similar to finding out that your preacher spends most of his time uh, with drug dealers and hookers. It, it's just not a good association. It's not a good look. It's not good for the brand of Christianity. And so Jesus shares this parable. He'll tell three parables, in fact, parables of lostness. Things that are lost, that someone goes out of their way to seek and find. And it's this first parable that I want to look at this morning in verse 3 of Luke chapter 15. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. If you've been in church long, you've probably heard uh, some preacher or, or Sunday school teacher or somebody tell you how dumb and helpless sheep can be. I mean, there's a, a reason there are no herds of wild sheep on the, the plains that just, they wouldn't survive. Uh, a sheep without a shepherd is a dead sheep. And so sheep basically kind of live their lives as kind of living lawnmowers, grazing and grazing and grazing and just wandering. And without a shepherd to rein them in, it's easy for them to get lost. And so the sheep in this parable has been doing the same. He's wandering aimlessly about. And pretty soon the, the sheep looks up and realizes that it has no idea where it is. It is all alone without its flock. It's kind of similar to if you've ever been driving and, and you've been deep in thought and you go a couple of miles and realize, I have no recollection of anything I passed in the last couple of miles. When I was uh, a kid, probably six or seven, I remember uh, being bored at Walmart with my mom. My parents are here today, so I have to apologize up front. Uh, I was born at Walmart. I thought a great game to play would be to hide in the circular coat rack uh, in the middle of the clothing section. And I knew the game was going really well because I began to hear, Bryce, Bryce, where are you? And, and the panic that was escalating in her voice meant I was really winning this game. But I didn't realize that I was lost. I mean, I knew exactly where I was, despite the fact that I was far from where I should be. And I think the same is said of this sheep. It didn't think to itself rebelliously, you know, I hate this shepherd. I want to be out on my own. It just was lost. It had just wandered and happened. That's the condition of this little lamb. It's wandering all along without knowing that it's lost, without knowing the dangers that could befall it in the form of a lion or a bear or a wolf, without knowing of the dangers of falling off a cliff or falling into a ditch. And it's these dangers that spur the, the shepherd into action. I can imagine him before turning in for the night, kind of running a head count and counting his sheep, you know, you know, 97, 98, 99. Okay, I must have miscounted. You know, it goes through again, 97, 98, 99. And he realizes because he knows his flock intimately, the one that is missing. It's the one that could be considered the, the runt of the litter, the, the small sheep, the little lost sheep, the one that's especially defenseless. And so he says to himself, you know, well, that's a shame. I, I guess I better get a new one in the morning. And he settles into his sleeping bag. No, he, he, he goes all out. 
He, he puts up, pulls out all the stops. He puts up lost posters with the little phone number tags. And he put staples on every fence post and, and telephone pole he can find. And he pours through the streets, finding all of his friends to look for his little lost sheep, calling for hours and, and whistling and searching for his one lost lamb. But if I'm being really honest, from a practical standpoint, it doesn't seem like this makes a lot of sense. I mean, really, what is one lost sheep when you have 99? I mean, it's, it's literally 1% of your flock. I mean, sure, you've left the others in the hands of able workers that you have hired hands, but they're not the same as the shepherd who would protect the flock at all costs. In some sense, you're kind of endangering the 99 to search for just one. If you had a, a dollar in your pocket, you probably wouldn't hesitate to give anybody a penny of that. Because a penny in the, in the grand scheme of a, a dollar is not much. Or when you put hand sanitizer on your hands and it kills 99% of the germs, you pretty much consider your hands perfectly pure and sanitized. Because really, what is 1% of germs in the face of the 99 that you just slaughtered from your palms? But here's, here's why that one sheep matters. Because it's not just another sheep in the flock. It's not just another penny in your pocket. It's a sheep that is intimately known and loved. And if you take nothing else this morning than this sentence, I want you to hear this. You see, Jesus' passion for those who are lost is motivated by his compassion for those whom he loves. Jesus' passion for those who are lost is motivated by his compassion for those whom he loves. Jesus seeking after the one is motivated by his great love. The shepherd seeking after his sheep is motivated by his great love, even for one lost lamb. Last week, my brother and sister-in-law were at one of my nephew's football games, and one of my other nephews, the three-year-old, uh, was sitting in the stands, and just with the moment of a turn of a head, he was gone. And, and they didn't know where he was, and they began to get a little concerned. Well, to come to find out, they, they found him in a parking lot with a full bladder because he had been told, if you have to go, just go, don't ask. And so he just goed with no idea where to go to go. And so after, you know, quite a time searching for him, they found him. But you, you better bet in that moment, my sister-in-law did not say to herself, you know, well, I still have 66% of my kids, so yeah, he's, he's fine. You know, they, they, they gathered every mom and every parent and every person they could find that was free and, and began to look and say, have you seen Camden? Do you know where Camden is? Did, did Camden, Camden come through here? He was gone for, for just 20 minutes, but you can imagine, have you ever lost a child temporarily before? The panic that sets in not knowing where your lost child is. See, the passion and searching for a lost child is motivated by the compassion of love. That it's not enough to just simply be content with what you retain in the moment where something of invaluable importance is missing. From a practical standpoint, pursuing one sheep is hardly worth the effort. But for Jesus, it was the very reason that he came. Just a few chapters from this one, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives the, the mission statement for why he came. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' passion for those who are lost is motivated by his compassion for those whom he loves. Jesus says the reason that he came, the reason that the God of the universe put on human flesh and walked among us was to go after and win the hearts of those who were far from him. 
And Jesus' pursuit is not a casual one. When something is lost in the Hotchkiss home, there are really two responses that take place. Because when I lose something, I mean, I, of course, look for it, maybe think about where I might have left it last and, and search around a little bit. But in the grand scheme, I think, you know, it's, it's probably going to turn up. I'm sure it's here somewhere. But for, for Kelsey, my wife, she just can't focus on anything else when something is lost. It dominates her attention, and, and she can't think about anything else. And she imagines scenarios from the, the impossible to the extremely unlikely and, and all throughout the gamut of where this lost thing could be. And she even begins to kind of like get in this mode where she offers like rewards. Like, I will give you $200 if you might find my keys. I'm like, okay, first of all, you're being a crazy person. And second of all, we share a bank account. So there's really no reward for me here. <laughs> but this is the heart of the pursuant shepherd. He doesn't say, you know, I- I'm sure the sheep will wander back eventually. I'm sure it will turn up. No, he, he doesn't sleep and he doesn't eat and he doesn't rest until his lost sheep is found. And he can place it on his shoulders, and he he comes home, and and he posts, and he snaps, and he tweets to every one of his friends that he has lost, or he has found his lost sheep. And they celebrate in the joy of his discovery. You see, for Jesus, one is greater than 99. Is the same true for us. You see, for many of us, the the truth of this parable that we need to focus on isn't really Jesus' passionate pursuit. Though it's important to see the heart of Jesus in this parable, really for us, the truth that we have to wrestle with is that we aren't the one. We're the 99. Verse 7, Jesus concludes the parable. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And in one sense, repentance is always necessary as a part of the Christian faith. There are always things in our lives that we need to surrender over to Jesus and and pursue Him and and surrender to Him on a regular basis. But I think those to whom Jesus is referring are those who have already given their lives to Him. And if you're a Christian and you've given your life to Him and you've confessed your need for a Savior and you've repented of your past and you've been baptized, then you're justified. You've been declared right in God's sight, in God's justice through the blood of Jesus. And so in a sense, though we always have this daily repentance of the Christian life, there's this sense that we have been found already. We are in the fold. Our shepherd has already pursued us and found us and brought us in to the herd, to the flock. And this is where the value gets offensive. Because when we unpack this parable and we really think through the ramifications and realize our place in this story, then we come to find that even if you've been a member of this church or a Christian for 30 years, your needs are not as important as the one who hasn't been here for 30 minutes. You see, there should be nothing that we are more passionate about as a church than seeking lost people who don't know Jesus. But unfortunately, we often find that the church, not just countryside, but the church as a whole, has the opposite focus. 50% of churches will not add one new member by conversion this year. Half of all churches will not bring one person to saving faith this year. 100 to 200 churches will close their doors for the final time 
this week. 81% of churchgoers say that the primary purpose of the church is to meet my needs and the needs of my family. Eight out of every ten people who go to church say the number one job of the church is to make sure that the 99 are fed and, well ha- and, and happy. And that just isn't the heart of Jesus. And so I think what this requires from us as the 99 is a sense of what is important from our shepherd. I mean, think about the things that the church as a whole often squabbles about. I mean, churches fight about music and the style and the volume and the tempo and the age. This one's too old. This one's too contemporary. You know, churches, churchgoers complain about not having enough fellowship or nobody would notice if I left or nobody visited me in the hospital. Well, did you tell anybody in there? No, but they didn't visit me anyway. You know, churches complain about coffee in the auditorium. You know, what kind of worship environment are we creating? What if, what if we create stains on the carpet? Listen, I would dump out a cup of coffee on this carpet every week if it meant one person took one step closer to Jesus. It's time for us as the 99 to, to mature past the point of pursuing our needs so that we can pursue and be prepared to welcome the loss that our shepherd is calling home. Some years ago, I went to the North American Christian Convention, and I had the privilege of listening to Ben Merrill. Some of you might know Ben Merrill if you've been uh, part of the church for a long time, but many of you I I know do not. Uh, But Ben is is kind of a a legend uh, among preachers in our our movement, and, and a legend to me as well, because Ben, in one of his early ministries, uh, went to a church, Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton, California, and grew the church from just a couple of hundred to now a mega church. You know, thousands of people on a Sunday. Well, what really is remarkable to me about Ben is at the age of 65, when most people are looking at retirement and heading toward that road of slowing down, he moved to St. Charles, Missouri to Harvester Christian Church and did the same thing all over again, growing the church from 200 to 3,500 at the age of 65. But what I admired the most about Ben as I heard him speak at this convention is that at the age of of 90-something, he said this, he said, I will be willing to put up with things that I don't like for the sake of reaching people that are not like me. He said, I have adopted the motto that I will be willing to put up with things that I don't like for the sake of reaching people who are not like me. What will we sacrifice for the one who needs Jesus? What will we give up when it comes to our preferences so that someone might experience eternal life? Because the reality of this parable is that it isn't just a story, but rather it's the heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus pursuing the one is more than just theological or ideological feel-goodery. It's the nature of the cross. That Jesus was willing to pursue those who were far from him, all of us, to such a degree that he would endure humiliation and brutality and excruciating pain and ultimately death so that we might be declared forgiven before God. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus poured out his life to reach us when we were lost in our sin. And if that is the heart of Jesus, shouldn't that be our heart as well? I heard it said this way this week, that Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one seems illogical, irrational, and senseless until that one is you. Aren't you glad that your mom or your dad or grandma or grandpa or spouse or co-worker or neighbor or friend loved you enough to pursue you as their one? It's easy as the 99 to be safe and sound in the pen to forget what it was like when we were alone, when we were lost and helpless and, and caught in a bush or down in the pit and the hand of our shepherd reached down and lifted us onto his shoulders and carried us celebrating our salvation. Church, we can't afford to forget about the lost. We can't afford to neglect those in our communities or our neighborhoods or our workplaces that are far from Jesus because we have become so consumed with our own comfort. A month or so ago, I taught Chandler how to play hide-and-seek. He loves being chased and caught and, and tickled, and so I'm like, okay, we're going to take this new level. We're going to make it challenging. He's going to have fun hiding. And so I told him, buddy, I'm going to count to 10, and I'm going to say, ready or not, here I come, and, and I'm going to come find you. You, got, you have to go hide. And so he said, okay. So I counted to 10 and said, ready or not, here I come, and immediately the giggles break out. He's laughing from behind the couch or under the table. I mean, he's, he's terrible at the game. And other times I count to say, ready or not, here I come. Here I am. It's like, <laughs> Like, bud. <laughs> but he's terrible at hide and seek because he so desperately wants to be found. Because the joy is in being found. You see, there are those that are lost in our circles of influence that are desperate to be found. They're asking questions, they're looking to our actions, and they're wanting to know more. Because they want to be found. So who's looking for them? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And at least I, for my part, come before you needing your spirit to empower me to have your heart. God, I pray that each of us would have the heart of that shepherd, of Jesus, who pursues the lost even when it means leaving the 99. That our needs would not be as important as those who are out there not knowing who you are. God, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and our minds the one who needs to know you. The one that maybe we are uniquely poised in our circles of influence to reach for you. Maybe nobody knows they're lost except for us. And so I pray that you would embolden us to seek them and pursue them and to run after them, giving up everything else, our preferences, our securities, our comforts, so that others might know the joy of being found, the joy that we have in our salvation. God, we pray that it would always be said of us that we believe that one is greater than 99. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of invitation, maybe you're the one. Maybe you've been searching and you're lost and you've never given your life to Jesus. And if that's you, our response team is going to come forward. I'll be up front. Some of our elders will be in the back. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be put on the shoulders of Jesus and carried home. But much more likely for the rest of us is that we are the 99 who have often forgotten about the one. And so I want to encourage you to think about and pray this week, who is the one person in your life that needs to hear of the love and grace and truth of Jesus?